Well, good morning to you. It is so exciting to be here with you today. I hope that you are having just an amazing 4th of July weekend, that you have found uh, some time not only to celebrate the importance of this weekend, but also to have some good downtime maybe with your family and your friends. I am a really excited again to be here today. I spend most of my Sundays up at our South Nashville campus, but relish every opportunity that I have to be here to open God's Word with you and pray that God would speak to your heart today, not through my words, but through what He has to offer us today. I'm excited as well about our topic today because it is something that is relevant to everyone in the room. It is relevant regardless of your status in life, regardless of how happy you are or how tired you may be this morning, it is something that is relevant to all of us. It's something that we want. It's something that we pursue. It's something that many times causes us strife. Sometimes it causes us tension. Many times it brings us great joy and often it brings us great pain. At this time in the message, you may think I'm gonna deliver a 35 minute talk about the Tennessee Titans, but I am not going to do that. I'm going to talk about something that is far greater than the Tennessee Titans this morning. It's a topic that is relevant to us because it, it hits us right where we are. And that topic is one of money. Money. Generosity. How do we live generously? How do we handle the money that God has blessed us with? And we find ourselves today right in the middle of this sermon series called The Best is Yet to Come, where we're unpacking this book of 2 Corinthians. Now, Pastor Jeff has done an amazing job this series of unpacking 2 Corinthians for us. And it's important for us to remember, again, just some of these contexts, just in case you have not been a part of our sermon series up to this point, I just want to highlight a few things for you. 2 Corinthians is a letter It is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul, and it was written to a specific church, a group of Christians in an area called Corinth. Pastor Jeff has often said Corinth was like the Las Vegas of the day. I love that analogy. It is a very wealthy, it's influential, but it's also kind of on the juxtaposition of trade routes, north and south, east and west trade routes are coming here. So it's a metropolitan city. It's somewhat of a very forward-thinking city. And there's these churches here that Paul has planted, that he's investing in. And this is predating any electronic communication. So for Paul to encourage and build up these churches and to address things that are going on in their life, he had to write letters. Either word of mouth had to happen or there would need to be some kind of letter. And so 2 Corinthians is a letter that Paul has written to this church. And now specifically though in chapters 8 and 9, he's taking a little bit of a context change because he's going to address something that is really important for the Corinthians to realize, and that is how they should be living generously. Prior to all of this, just a little backstory for you, Paul is collecting an offering. He is collecting an offering, and that offering is going to be sent to saints that are living in Jerusalem. And so he is encouraging his churches, his local bodies of believers, to be invested in what's happening in Jerusalem. And you may be asking yourself, what is happening in Jerusalem? There are lots of Christians in Jerusalem who are living in poverty. They're in persecution. They have really come up on hard times, and Paul is encouraging his churches to feel the weight of that, to feel the responsibility of that. And so as a result of that, we've got to ask ourselves, what does Paul want us to understand about generosity through this passage of Scripture? What did he want the Corinthians to understand and realize? And ultimately, what does he want us to realize today about the way that we live or should live generously? Now, at this point in the message, I'm also very much aware that some of you have already formulated a bunch of presuppositions about a message about generosity. Here we go again. Somebody in front of us talking about money and talking about giving. I do want to make you a promise this morning. I am not going to make you feel guilty today. 
I do not find great pleasure in standing in front of people and making them feel guilty. That is not the intent of what we would talk about today, but what we do want you to do is to evaluate the position that money has in your life, to evaluate and possibly even rethink some of the areas where God is calling you to be generous in, or are there things or lies or half-truths about generosity that you may have bought into that through God's Word, He wants to help us unpack this morning? And so what we're going to do is walk through 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, and we're going to assert one big idea about generosity, one big idea about generosity, and then we're going to ask you to rethink three things about generosity. There's possibly three things that you and I may need to rethink about generosity and money. Now, I think regardless of where we are this morning, we can all agree that money garners a lot of power in our life, doesn't it? And sometimes we don't even realize that power. Sometimes we will choose another job because solely there's more compensation that may be offered there. We choose to buy homes in neighborhoods that obviously the location works for us, but the house that we pick there is contingent on what we can afford or what we think we can afford. Sometimes there is relational tension that comes up and it often involves money. Even in relational tension to the point of divorce, the National Fatherhood Institute says that the number two reason that couples divorce are usually over financial issues. So money garners power in our life. It garners influence in our life, but yet it's needed. We don't live in a bartering system where I get to pay my electricity because I grew a bushel of apples. It's just not the way the world works anymore. It's a needed currency. And so to completely ignore it and be oblivious about it is not right. But to buy into some of the lies that this world and society teaches us about finances are also improper ways of thinking. So we've got to go back to the Bible and got to say, God, what is it that you want to teach us about the way that we should live in regards to finances this morning? And that's where we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Some of these words are printed for you there in your worship guide. A lot of them will be on the screen here behind me. But I encourage you to follow along as we jump in to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Starting in verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. So again, he's writing to the Corinthians. He's saying, we want you to know, brothers. And he's saying, I want you to know about the grace of God that's granted to the churches of Macedonia. So remember that. We'll get back to that in a second. During a severe testing by affliction, there, the Macedonians, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he also should complete this grace to you. So again, by way of context, there is a collection that Paul is taking up. This offering is to be going for the saints that are in Jerusalem. And Paul is saying, Corinthian church, I want you to be reminded about the Macedonians. Because the Macedonians, they were living in abject poverty. They were a lot worse off than you were financially, but joy welled up in them. And as a result of that joy, it translated into generosity. They had extreme poverty on one hand, but joyful and cheerful overflowing of joy that led to generosity on the other hand. In fact, it was because of their joy that they gave. And Paul says, I'm sending Titus to you so that you can follow suit, so that you can seek to emulate the example that the Macedonians set, that you can share in this offering. 
And it's important to note that the Macedonians, they, they, they were poor. It didn't matter that they didn't have a lot of material possessions. That did not stop them from being invested in what Paul was encouraging them to do. They were the example. And sometimes that, that, that challenges us. We begin to think, well, how could they be the example of generosity when they didn't even have as much as the Corinthians? And then you fast forward some 2,000 years and you really see this being played out even in our modern context. If you do some research on giving trends, research about people's generosity towards charitable causes is directly sometimes related to income. Researchers say that if you make less than $20,000 a year, you are actually likely to give more proportion of your income to charitable causes than if you make $50,000 a year, $60,000 a year, $80,000 a year. And those stats are, of course, not going to prove true for everyone, but sometimes the, the, the premise is that when you have less, you are willing to part with it more. When you have less, you are often willing to part with it more. Along the same lines, I, just, I was curious, and so I did some research to think through and, and to try to just understand what are the most charitable states in the United States? So what are the most charitable states that give to religious causes, the American Red Cross, just your basic charity, you know, charitable giving? The second most charitable state, not in amount, but in percentage given, the second most charitable state in the United States is the great state of Mississippi. Do I have any Mississippi people in the room today? Oh, thank you. Mississippi people always yell. I love it. Mississippi people are proud of Mississippi, and I'm proud of you for being here today. Now, if you compare that to the poorest states in the United States, would anyone like to take a guess as to what number 50 on the list is per capita? Mississippi. That is not a testament against Mississippi. It's actually an illustration of what Paul is talking about, that there are often factors that cause us to be more charitable. Because sometimes when you have less, you are willing to part with it more. And you could easily go on and say, well, there's a lot of factors that you know, I would need to understand to really understand that stat and if it is true. And I would encourage you to look that up. But the premise of the story, the thesis statement, if you pull the list, there's correlations between those that have more tend to give less. And those that have less tend to give more proportionately based on what they have. And then you enter the Macedonians. You enter the Macedonians who were in abject poverty, but they desired to be in the game. And so for us sitting here today, and for us just evaluating where we are financially, we have to ask ourselves this question, is it possible that the wealth that we have accumulated is actually making it more difficult for us to understand how God wants us to be generous? Is it possible? In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, which many of us were reading through in our daily step Bible reading, Solomon, who we know was the wisest man to ever walk on the face of this earth, said that the one who loves money is never satisfied with money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. The wisest man says that when we have an appetite, the appetite only understands one word, and that's more. To desire more and to yearn for more. But yet, if all we're desiring for is more, then in many ways we may be practicing an exercise in futility. Hear me out. I'm not saying that we should all be proud of being in poverty. That's not the case at all. 
The premise is, Paul says, I want you to view money in the proper, sta- proper stance. I want you to view it in a way that's not as something that has control over you, but that is a blessing for you to give back generously. Picking back up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, Paul says, I am not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So Corinthian church, I'm wanting you to understand this big idea about generosity. In Rolling Hills Community Church, Paul is trying to help us understand this big idea about generosity. One of the big ideas about generosity, our big idea for the day, is that your generosity is an expression of the gospel. Your generosity is an expression of the gospel because the genuineness of your love is going to be expressed in giving. Jesus Christ, who we seek to become like and who we seek to emulate our life after and who we seek to follow with this call of discipleship, says that we should follow his claims. He says, emulate after me, emulate after me, because I was rich with God and gave all of that up and became nothing so that you could have life and so that you could have life to the fullest. And in essence, that is the message of the gospel. If you've never heard that word today, that is the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ gave so that you could have life. And when we live generously with our resources and when we commit our resources to God, what we find is that we are actually seeking to become more like Jesus through that act of worship. And this act is a test of our love and it's a test of that genuine relationship. In some ways, it interestingly works that way in human relationships too. If you want your human relationship to go really, really well, then don't give leftovers in your human relationship. If you want the relationship with your spouse to be less than ideal, then only give them leftovers all the time. And I don't mean last night's chili mac. Don't give them the best of you all the time and see if that does not strengthen the nature of the relationship that you have together. And Jesus Christ is no different. He wants more of us than any human relationship could ever want or dream of us. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to become more like him. And he teaches about this. Jesus himself had teachings about this. If you go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24, Jesus says that no one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other, because you cannot be slaves of God and money. So that when you make a commitment then to serve God, our allegiance solely goes to him. Our desire solely goes to him, and a desire to serve the things of this world should hopefully be working itself out of us and should be replaced with a desire to solely bring honor and glory to him. Jesus knew this would be difficult for us. If these words are difficult to hear this morning, know that you are in amazing company. Amazing company since the beginning of time. People have struggled with this. There would not be a plethora of scripture speaking to this if this was not something that Jesus knew was going to be difficult for us to fathom. 
But he also says, you're not off the hook on this. I want you to understand because there is joy in this. Now, if you keep going on to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you're going to move into logistics. Paul has said, I want you to take up the offering. I desire for you to take up the offering. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about the motivations of the offering. But he's giving them some logistics. He says, I'm sending a group of people. They're going to collect the offering. I'm not even going to be there. They're going to collect the offering. This, this entourage is going to bring the offering back to Jerusalem to help meet those needs. I don't want to even be there when this offering is taken up because I don't want to, for you, Corinthian church, to misconstrue why, why I am taking up the offering. I don't want you to think that I'm going to come down on you or judge you if you don't give as much as the Macedonians gave. So I'm going to go ahead and just let the offering be taken up, and it's going to be sent back to Jerusalem, and then I'm going to come and see you a little bit later. And that's where we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verses 5 through 8. He's kind of now transitioning to moving them towards the motivation for them to give. Starting in verse 5, Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers, this is that entourage, urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised, so that it will be ready as a gift and not an extortion. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver." Paul's wanting the Corinthians to make sure that they understand the motivation as to why they are supposed to give. I don't want you to think, Corinthians, that it's because I'm there watching you put that money in this offering basket that will go to the saints in Jerusalem. I want you to fully understand why I'm asking you to be generous. So in some ways, Paul, it, Paul is helping them rethink generosity. He's helping train them and retrain them and reteach them in some things that they may need to be retaught in. And we're no different today. There are things about generosity that you and I may need to rethink that we can extrapolate right out of this passage of Scripture. One of the first things that we may need to rethink in terms of generosity is that generosity is actually a result of joy, not coercion. Generosity is a result of joy, not coercion. Paul didn't want the Corinthian church to give to the offering because they felt guilty. Rather, he said in verse 7, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or guilt or out of necessity, obligation and coercion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, give because you want to. Give because you see this as an opportunity to become more like Jesus. Give because it wells up in you with a sense of cheerfulness. Give because it brings you joy. And Paul says, give because you want to be like Jesus. Don't hold on to things so tightly that you miss what God is wanting to do in and through you. There's no reason for you to feel coerced. There's no reason that this should be motivated by anything but a mere sense of joy and delight in what God is wanting to do in you. Several years ago, um, I remember I, I, I met this uh, person that I was in ministry with and got to serve with. And I remember a situation that happened when we were um, involved in this ministry, and I had noticed that something was going on. You ever have those moments when you just know something's going on relationally, but you can't really put your finger on it, and so you just kind of ask and try to see if something's, something's going on there. And, and I had noticed some attrition. I had noticed that he wasn't really as connected anymore as he used to be. And so I began to ask him some questions just to see if everything was okay. And in the midst of that conversation, he said something that I've really never been able to shake. He said, Jason, the only reason I was still connected in our ministry is because I didn't want to let you down. 
I didn't want to let you down. And I thought about it in the moment, and I didn't really know how to respond to that, so I didn't say anything. I just kind of let paralysis set in, and I just sat there and listened to what he had to say. And in the moment, I didn't know, should I have opened up my Bible and preached a little sermonette in the moment, or should I have said, thank you? I didn't really know what to say, so I didn't say anything at all. But after the fact, after I began to think about what he said, that statement really bothered me because I appreciated his loyalty. Obviously, loyalty is a core value of mine. In fact, Jesus wants us to be loyal to his purpose. He wants us to be loyal to his name. He wants us you to be loyal to the things that he has called you to do. But loyalty at the expense of joy is a really detrimental way of, of serving. It can be a very detrimental way to go about living our lives because in the moment, what can, be ha- what can happen is all the joy can be robbed and can simply be replaced with obligation. And sometimes, sometimes we have to start with a sense of loyalty and trust that the joy will come. But many times we just have to simply reevaluate and say, God, how can I find more joy in what you are asking me to do? And in that moment, I realized something was missing there. I couldn't really put a finger on it. I wasn't blaming him, and I wasn't blaming myself fully for that either, and we shared this responsibility. But in the moment, I realized that generosity often falls prey to that same principle. We sometimes will seek to be generous, and we do it merely out of necessity, when God is saying, what I really want is for this to be done with a, a sense of cheerfulness and a sense of joy and even a sense of levity. So some of us may need to rethink that generosity is not about coercion, but generosity is all about cheerfulness and all about joy. One of the second things that we may need to rethink is that the amount is not as important as the attitude. The amount of your generosity is not as important as the attitude. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in verse 12. Paul says, "For If the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may also become available for your need, then or that there may be equality. So Paul says, if you desire to give Corinthians, then do it out of a sense of joyfulness and don't, don't worry about what you have. Base your joyful generosity not on what you don't have, but base your joyful generosity on what you do have. For goodness sakes, the Macedonians were the example. And they were the ones who were poor. He says, don't be, don't be immobilized by the fact that you don't feel like you can contribute very much because in God's economy, the, the, the amount is actually quite irrelevant. The amount is quite irrelevant. And there are lots of other passages of Scripture that would back that up and that would affirm that same truth. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it's this interesting story that many of you, I'm sure, have read where there is an offering that is being taken up, a collection in the temple, and Jesus, this is directly from Luke 21, Jesus looks up and he sees the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasure. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins, and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all that she had to live on. And when you read that, you can't help but think it sounds a lot like the Macedonians, doesn't it? 
Sounds a lot like the Macedonians who out of poverty gave in abundance. And they were the example that Paul chose to use. So whether you find yourself this morning with a lot or whether you find yourself with a little, know that the amount is really secondary to the attitude behind it and to the joy behind it. It's been impressed upon my heart as I've processed through and thought about uh, what we're talking about today, that it really is our responsibility to teach this. It is our responsibility to model this, and it is our responsibility to make sure that the generation coming up behind us understands this and, and gets this, because the world does not teach a proper view a proper biblical view. We shouldn't expect the world to teach a proper biblical view of money, but just in case you were wondering, it does not teach a proper biblical view of money. It tells us to spend like there's no tomorrow and worry about that later. It tells us to hoard and store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, whereas Jesus says, store for yourself treasures in heaven. And you and I have the unique responsibility to model this. If you are a parent this morning, your kids are going to get their examples of generosity based on what you choose to do. You will set the pace for them in that. And if you feel like you've not done a good job of that so far, that's all right. Just start now. If you feel like that's an area that you want to grow in, just start now. If you teach some of these precious kids in these rooms back here, it's your responsibility to model that. If you are hoping and praying that someday that is your norm and that you are in a place where um, God blesses you with a family, then already begin thinking about how can I teach and how can I model these things because your kids are going to download what they see you doing. And if you've made some mistakes, there's grace. And if you've really tried to do this well, then congratulations. Keep doing it. Keep working at this. I'm a, I'm a product of, of this type of relationship with my family. I had, still have, amazing parents who consequently I don't think ever read any kind of parenting books. Um, but somehow they, they tended to, my brother and I, I think, tended, uh, tended to turn out okay. And something that they modeled in our home was generous living. Something that they modeled in our home was uh, open discussion about finances. It was not uncommon for my dad to sit down with us at our kitchen table and for him to pull out a big yellow legal pad, this is predating computers, and to take a big magic marker and, you know, separate that yellow legal pad. And on the left side of that paper, he would show my brother and I how much money he was bringing in. We would see the paychecks, and the paychecks were not big. We were, at best, low middle class, possibly, probably high, up, high low class in terms of where we were financially. And on the right side of that paper, he would map out all of our monthly expenditures. He would show us how much we were spending on the house, how much we were spending on insurance, how much we were spending on groceries. But even more than the bill that we were paying for the electricity, he would model for us and show us how he was calculating the generous giving that he was giving back to God. And it's not, it's a, it is a very distinct memory of mine of him taking a calculator and entering in the amount of money that he made through his paycheck and letting me hit times point one zero, And seeing him and my mom write that check in faithful service and generosity to God, and to see them hand that in was a valuable lesson 
for a young kid. It was a valuable lesson primarily because some weeks, or some months I should say, the number on the left side or the right side of the column that was expenditures was greater than the number that was on the left-hand side of money that was coming in. And as a kid, I asked my dad, Dad, how is that possible? How is it possible that we have more money going out than is coming in? And I would hear my dad eloquently and very biblically talk to us about faithful giving. And I don't say that this morning to cast some mystical, magical story in your head. I say that this morning to say, it it was modeled for me that you trust God in all avenues of your life and that you're faithful in all avenues of your life. And I stand here today really grateful for that. And it's my prayer that we will model that in our home with um, our daughter and that you will seek to model and emulate that as well because it matters and it makes a huge difference. So the amount is not as important behind as the attitude behind the amount, the attitude that you seek to live it with. And then thirdly, one of the things that we may need to rethink about generosity is that giving is not about you. Giving is about God. Giving is not about you, but rather giving is all about God. If you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, picking up in verse 10, now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness as you are enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. Through the proof of this service, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others. And in their prayers for you, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God on you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul is saying that through this proof of service, they, the saints in Jerusalem, they are going to glorify God for your obedience. What does that mean? It means the saints are going to take notice of the obedience of the Corinthian church. This Corinthian church that Paul is saying, I want you to be obedient to this gift. Be obedient to the confession of the gospel. Be obedient to saying that you know Jesus Christ and you want to make him known. And out as a result of that confession, I want to be involved in joyful generosity. And Paul says, the saints in Jerusalem are going to take note of that. And you know, when you and I seek to live generously, and when we seek to live generously as a church, when we seek to give generously to God, the world takes note of that as well. There are a couple life skills educators in a community called Red Hill down in a country in South Africa that are stepping out of their little huts every day, that are walking into the lives of families and into the lives of kids. One of these guys is a local pastor. He is seeing transformation happen in their community. He is seeing people come to faith in Christ, baptizing them and changing their eternities forever. Because people give generously to God, because people give generously to God, there are transitional living homes in a little country called Moldova where the country of Moldova and really the rest of the world has said, why worry with the castaways? Why worry with those that are never really going to amount to much anyway based on the worldly standards? And we say, but you amount, you, your amount can't even be measured when we look at how God views you and what God desires for you. And so because of generosity to God, transitional living homes are there. Because of generosity to God, there are spaces that are created where your kids come and where they learn, where the lights stay on in those spaces, and where the teachers are equipped and trained and invested in 
to teach biblical truths and to empower and to equip you to do that. Because of generosity, environments are created where you can, without any sense of fear, invite friends and family and coworkers to come and hear a message that is not going to be what is taught to them outside the walls of this church. And because of generosity to God, the spreading of the gospel goes to all the nooks and crannies and the crevices of places in this world. But in addition to all of that, in addition to all of those representations, which we could talk about for another hour, but in the essence of time, I will not do that to you today. But in all of those representations of what happens because of generosity to God, above all of that, God receives thanksgiving because of your generosity. God receives thanksgiving because of generosity back to him. And God uses that joyful generosity in a way that you and I could never dream or never imagine. But the caveat in all of this is back to one of the things that we may need to rethink. Because generosity is not about you. It is about God. So don't ever, don't ever buy into the lie that God needs your generosity. Because it's a really slippery slope when we buy into some premise that God's economy is hanging in the balance because of my $400 or God's economy is going to go bankrupt because of your $4,000 or the lack of your $4,000. Because it's not about the amount. God says, I want you in little or in excess to joyfully, hands open with what you have entrusted to me. And all of a sudden it makes sense as to why Jesus had so much to say about this. Jesus had so much to say about this. He is devoting a lot of time to principles that or a lot of airtime to principles that will, that will seek to pull our attention away from what he desires. And this is one of those areas where the world seeks to pull us away. But Jesus says, what I've actually called you to do is I've called you to live this life in pursuit of me. And that life that I'm calling you to live in pursuit of me is actually a pretty risky endeavor. And when you live in excess, E-X-C-E-S-S, when you live in excess all the time, sometimes the propensity that you have to take a risk is greatly decreased because you have created a system in your life. And these are not bad systems, but we create systems where we provide for our own retirement and we see good doctors and we put our kids in good schools and we invest in their future and we want great return on our investments. And hear me, those are not inherently bad things. Those are things that we do as a family. But the problem lies in when you begin to trust your system more than you trust God's system. And God's system says security is not found in the things of this world. In fact, the things of this world can be a roadblock from you really understanding what I desire for you to do. Because in verse 10, it says that he is the one who provides the seed. He is the one who provides the growth. And when we seek to live according to that mindset, then we all of a sudden come to grips with the fact that what we have has been given to us by God anyway. He's the one who planted the seed. He's the one who gave the growth. He's the one that has allowed us to be um, in the places where we are and has allowed us to experience the joys and the freedoms that we have today. And he desires for us to hold that in a manner that is reflective of where our trust is placed. And so this morning, I don't know where you are, but I would assume that a lot of us are probably in, in some of these camps. Some of us may need to just to simply better, better understand generosity. You know, we've bought into some lies about faithful giving. We've bought into some myths. 
And possibly this morning through God's word, he just wants to help you rethink those things, to retrain you on some things that you have believed. Some of us may need to actually adjust the way that we live. We are possibly living in a, in a situation where there's either so much financial insecurity or so much financial bondage that it is preventing us from experiencing the freedom that we, that we know that we want. And so if that is you this morning, then listen to that still small voice that says, make some adjustments in the way that you live. And for a lot of us, and I've been in this season many times in my life, it's just simply God tapping on your shoulder or tugging at your heart saying, try it. Just, just, just try it. Be, be faithful. Seek to hold things with the manner that I seek to help, help, that I seek for you to understand them by. I'm well aware this morning that this is a difficult topic. In fact, this is one of those topics that nobody ever wants to get asked to come up on a stage and speak about. Um, I couldn't have had joy from last week. Have to get generosity this week, but all joking aside, God doesn't want us to, God doesn't want us to worry about money. God doesn't want us to be held captive to it either. He doesn't want us to worship it, but he doesn't want us to completely ignore it either because it's needed and it's something that he has entrusted us with. And yet he gives us instructions on how to use it. He doesn't want us to find our security in it. And he definitely doesn't want us to think that our little amounts are more significant than someone else's large amount. And he doesn't want you to think that your large amount or abundance is better than someone else's small gift. Because God loves a cheerful giver, giving with the right motivation, with the right emphasis and the right trust on him and not the things of this world. God loves a cheerful giver. May that be said of me, may that be said of you, and may that be said of Rolling Hills Community Church. Will you pray with me today? God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I thank you for this, this letter that was written to the Second Corinthians that teaches us about the best really being yet to come. That it's not about these things of the world, but it's about eternal investments and eternal deposits and things that will outlive us and that will change the landscape of eternity forever. We thank you for your indescribable gift. We thank you for the way that you richly bless us and we pray that as we as we live according to your standards, that we would hold things in the proper perspective. Give cheerfully, serve joyfully, and that you would use our gifts in whatever way you best see fit to make a difference here in this world. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. As we continue in our acts of worship this morning, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. And this is a chance for you to to be involved in what God's doing. It's a chance for you to invest not only here, but in what God is doing around this world. This is also an opportunity for those of you who may be worshiping with us for the first time today to give us a prayer request or a a card. We would be honored to come alongside you and pray with you and, 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 and help you in any way that we possibly can. So it would be a huge honor for us if you would drop something in that offering basket by way of communication card as well. So again, this is an opportunity for us to continue to worship. God, please bless these um, tithes and these offerings. Use them in whatever way you see fit to make a difference here in this world. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen.
you are. You're the pearl beyond price, greater than life. All that I am, all that you are. on the altar now No holding back No holding out In view of your matchless sacrifice Take every treasure Take this life All that I am For all that you are My Lord All that I for all that you are You're the pearl beyond price Greater than life All that I am For all that you are Oh, 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 oh. Levity. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. We hope this morning that you feel the warmth of knowing Jesus Christ and being in a relationship with him because that is where the really sweet spot of living is. It's a sweet spot of living when you hold things in a perspective that he wants you to hold them with. When you understand that what he's calling you to do is to not to live in any kind of obligatory way, but to live with a sense of joy because of what has been done for you. Because of the transformation of the gospel, we walk out of this place and we say, God, we walk into a world where we know there is hurt, where there is pain, where there is strife, where there is need, where there are those who just simply need to be reminded of your goodness. And we pray that as you leave this place today, that that would be on your lips, that that would be on your heart and on your mind, that you would say, God, everything that I am is yours to begin with. So use it in whatever way you see fit so that a difference will be made, not because of me, but because of an overflowing praise and thanksgiving to you. Amen, amen, and amen. May that be our prayer today. May you walk out of here today with the joy of the Lord, and we look forward to seeing you back here next week. Have a great rest of your holiday weekend. See you later. Let's go out singing this.